In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. With absolute confidence that we are in God's presence, that He sends His Holy Spirit into your heart, into mine, to aid us, to encourage us, and to enable us to pray. And more specifically, to enable us, as we do always in our prayer, turn to the Gospel, so as to discover the person of Jesus. Discover him not out of intellectual curiosity, not because we want to be smarter or have nice insights, but because we want to believe in him, we want to entrust ourselves to him, we want to love him. And that happens when we contemplate the Gospels, when we focus our attention aided by the grace of God in prayer. St. Matthew tells us, And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was asleep. And, they, and when they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? you of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? With this dramatic scene before our eyes, let's turn our attention to Jesus asleep. But Jesus is asleep in the middle of a storm, howling wind, raging sea, a boat up and down, side and side, filling with water. The shouts of the disciples, experienced fishermen, men accustomed to the sea and to storms. And in the middle of mayhem and chaos, Jesus is asleep contrast that says a lot to us. And the first thing it says to us, and it's, it, we shouldn't pass it by, that Jesus is God, but he is also, as we've considered so many times, he is also perfect man, just like you, just like me. It's human, it's human nature, fully. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. Why is he asleep? Because he is absolutely exhausted. <laughs> He has been going and traveling on foot. He has been preaching and speaking and healing nonstop. He has woken up early so as to pray and be with his Father. He has spent himself in all-night vigils praying for the disciples, praying for you, praying for me. And he's been doing all of this not because he was fulfilling some sort of resolution because he was trying to show how strong he was, 
but he was doing it because he saw what other people needed. And Jesus, when he says that he, when we say, we say that Jesus loves us, what that means is that Jesus responds to our needs. What he gives corresponds to what we need, not to what he feels like. And just in that, that exhaustion, you know, Jesus is asleep, not out of indifference, you know, but he's asleep just because, humanly speaking, he, you know, was exhausted. That exhaustion speaks to us of a love that gives without counting the cost. A love that doesn't give so much importance to personal comfort. And as we see Jesus in the boat exhausted, it's, it's, a, it's a nice challenge for you and for me. Challenge because so often our desire to not be uncomfortable prevents us from saying yes to the things that we actually love, to the people, from serving them, from going out of our way and making that love grow. It's many times nothing more mysterious than just our preference to feel okay, to not be uncomfortable, that we stay stuck. Why is my love of God not more vibrant? Why are my friendships not flourishing and growing? Why am I not making them better people? Maybe if we just calmly look, oftentimes it'll just be a series of moments in which we chose what was easy and comfortable in a precise moment, over and against the possibility of being generous, giving myself. And we want to consider this not because we want to put before ourselves, you know, kind of the, that the goal of our lives is to be exhausted all the time and we're falling over, you know, because we can't, I've been sleeping, we're so tired, and somehow that's good, right? That's, that's not the ideal in a sense, right? Even Jesus with the disciples is very much concerned about their rest. There's that moment in the Gospels where Jesus realizes they've been going out and preaching and they, he realizes they haven't been eating well, they haven't been sleeping, and he says, okay, guys, we're going to go off somewhere and we're going to get some rest. I'm going to take it easy. Jesus cares for them and he's concerned about them. And, of course, we need to rest and we need time. And the ideal isn't that we're constantly going and giving ourselves and doing things until we just fall down in exhaustion. But seeing Jesus, what we want to get is that, that love that is stronger than our love for comfort. That's the point. Comfort isn't bad, but it's, it's not the best. It's not the most important thing. Jesus asleep in the boat. But we also want to see much more than just Jesus' physical exhaustion. That contrast between Jesus asleep the storm, the wind, the waves, the fear and the panic of the disciples. It stands out so sharply because in that sleeping Jesus, we see peace. Peace. You know, sleep in, you know, is, is an expression of peace in so many ways. We know that when we're very anxious and we're uptight and something is worrying us and our mind is divided in four different directions, it's very hard to sleep. But one of the great things about being able to sleep is an ability to say, you know what, I'm unplugging. <laughs> I'm going to go unconscious for seven hours and I put all of my worries and my concerns in God's hands. 
and I'm going to sleep. Jesus is doing the same. And he's doing it in the middle of a situation that was objectively dangerous. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and the other disciples, they're screaming on the boat, not because they were, you know, city dwellers who you know, were afraid that they were getting a little bit wet. They thought that they were going to sink and drown. But in the midst of that, Jesus is asleep. And, and when the disciples go to Jesus and they wake him up and, Lord, save us, we are going to die. St. Mark, in his account of the gospel, actually adds, you know, something, the phrase, he says, we are, do you not care that we are perishing, they say. You know, there, there is even kind of a little bit more, if you like, realistic. It's not that part in Matthew gets airbrushed out a little bit, you know. Whereas it, you know, Mark gives, you know, the, kind of the apostles in their raw state, you know, Jesus, hey, we're done, you know, this is serious and you're asleep. Why are you so at ease? In that contrast, notice, Jesus wakes up. They wake him up and maybe they shake him. They bring him to his feet. And notice in that contrast that when Jesus wakes up and he speaks to them, he does it while the storm is still raging. While the storm is still raging, the waves, the boat is rocking. They're moving. Maybe they're holding onto the side of the boat so that they can stay on their feet. As all of that is happening, Jesus says to them, Why are you afraid? Imagine how shocking those words are. They're shocking because surely Jesus knew why they were afraid. <laughs> it was evident why they were afraid. It's not that Jesus didn't get that. Rather, that precisely in that contrast, he wanted to teach them. He wanted to show them what it means to live in the world as God's only son. Is God's only child. That even the power of nature is at his service. The power of nature is a pretty significant power, right? You know, earthquakes, storms, hurricanes, you know, out here and where we are, we don't suffer kind of, I mean, we rain, it rains and we get some inclement weather, but I mean, we don't get tornadoes and kind of massive earthquakes and kind of devastating things that happen. But when they, when the parts of the world where that does happen, it's pretty awe-inspiring. And Jesus is saying, even that, all of that is at his service. And St. Matthew says, Then Jesus got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. The Gospel writer wants us to notice how effortless this was for Jesus. He doesn't stand up in the boat and have to recite a long series of prayers. He doesn't argue with the sea. He doesn't kind of anguish. It's just a word. And boom, it's over. Dead calm. Absolute submission to what Jesus says. Just a word. And the disciples are amazed that nature obeys him. This is the Jesus that we are praying to right now. This is the Jesus who is paying attention to me and my prayer, who wants to be with me and to listen to me. That power that we're considering in the Gospel of Matthew, it's not a power 
that exists to crush or to overcome or to defeat opposition. It's a power that speaks to us as peace. And this is, this is where we want to take our meditation now. That the power of Jesus expresses itself as peace. In the last supper of John's Gospel, Jesus looking around at the twelve in that most solemn moment, before he's about to consummate all of salvation history, to bring it to its apex, its decisive moment, he looks at those, at those men and he says, speaking to them, but through the Holy Spirit, speaking to you and to me, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. My peace. Do you and I believe in faith? How enormous a gift that is. The peace of Jesus. The peace of the Creator, the Redeemer. My peace I give to you. We see it expressed in that encounter with the storm. The world is raging, chaos, we're losing, uh, we're out of control. Jesus stands up, enough, and it's over. Dead calm, peace. That is the kind of peace that Jesus wants to give to us. And that's why he says, not as the world gives, do I give to you. How does the world give us peace? Just think about it. I mean, how does the world give us peace? I think, I mean, there's a lot of things you could say about this, but generally speaking, the way that the world tries to give us peace is by distracting us. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. Entertainment, right? You watch a movie, you get distracted. That's good. It's fine. But, you know, we can get distracted. You go out, you watch a movie, have a glass of wine, go to a concert, things. And then what happens? It's over. <laughs> the distraction ends, and I find myself again. You see, the kind of the peace that the world can give at its best is a distraction. It's not a solution. It's not salvation. The world cannot save us from what takes away our peace. The fear of death, the reality of sin, the problem of guilt. It's only our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, by reconciling us to the Father through the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are brought back to God and therefore have peace. So that when the movie's over, we still have peace. That we can enjoy a glass of wine, but we can also enjoy not having a glass of wine. We can enjoy going out, but we can also enjoy being with ourselves. We don't have to constantly keep ourselves distracted and agitated and something going and pull up my phone and pull up my computer as long as I'm not in silence. We can be in silence and indeed enjoy it if we are at peace. The peace that God gives us in a way that the world cannot give. And this peace, this peace that Jesus gives is a wholeness. It's a completeness. You know, maybe it's, it's easier to, to imagine and, and think about the opposite of it. I think all of us have had 
this experience. You know, we all know that we've had, maybe recently, <laughs> maybe today even, moments where we haven't been at peace. And what is it like when you're not at peace? Well, I think one of the characteristics of not being at peace is to kind of have my attention shattered, to be pulled in several directions, different directions at once. You know, normally a person who's not at peace, you can kind of tell when you're talking to that person because they're not really paying attention. <laughs> something's on their mind. They're upset, something's bothering them. And that's a sign that even though they're trying to listen or maybe half trying, there's something else that's pulling their attention away. Sometimes we use words like being restless or anxious or just being unsettled to describe that experience of being in pieces on the inside. One piece is here, one is there, one emotion goes this way, one passion the other, one thought the other. But when we're at peace, there's a wholeness, a completeness. And one of the simple expressions of it, it's not that peace is just this, but one of the simple expressions of it is that ability to focus, that ability to be present. To be present in prayer, to be present to others, to be present in our work. And maybe in the moment we aren't fully aware of it, but when we look back on it, that's one of the greatest things that we experience, one of the great gifts actually of being reconciled to God through our Christian life. St. Josemaria, the founder of Opus Dei, whenever he would talk about the goal of Christian living and of struggle, he would say, you know, what, what does victory look like in the Christian life? Victory, I mean, I don't think he used exactly those terms, but what is the fruit of growing in our Christian life involved, that self-giving? And oftentimes he would use an expression in Latin. He would say, gaudium cum pace, joy with peace, is the fruit of that sincere striving and self-giving to Jesus and to others. Joy and peace. This peace is so immensely important that it's the first word out of Jesus' mouth after the resurrection. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. I'd like for us to spend the time that remains in our prayer considering this image of the resurrected Jesus and precisely in the way that St. John narrates it is encapsulating what is most characteristic of this peace of Jesus and what's involved for you and I in trying to receive it, trying to receive this gift that he wants to give to us as a result of his victory on the cross. And the first thing is that Jesus himself is peace. 
If we want to have peace, we have to seek him. Jesus stands before the apostles in his resurrected body. That peace of God, that shalom Yahweh that has existed outside of time before the creation of the universe, that complete self-presence of God unto himself is now present in Jesus' physical body. So now, after the resurrection, just to try to make this practical, the agony in the garden, for example, is no longer possible. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, he sweat blood in fear and anxiety and trepidation of what was coming. He suffered. He asked his friends to be with him, to not leave him alone, to accompany him. He felt anguish and fear in his body. After the resurrection, it's not possible anymore because in his body, he is the peace of God. And you and I, whenever we want to, have the opportunity of entering into contact with that body that is the peace of God, whenever we want, in the Eucharist and in the sacrament of confession. We touch the resurrected body of Jesus in that sacrament, and we therefore receive the power of that peace. That's why we participate in the Mass. That's why we go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation, so that we can be reconciled with God and receive that peace. Jesus himself is that peace. And I say that just so that we don't, you know, kind of get it overly infected by kind of contemporary ideas of what peace is. You know, you know that peace is, I don't know, looking at a nice sunset over the beach, you know, I've got a nice cocktail in my hand, some nice music playing in the background, you know, it's nice temperature, you know, no, that's not bad, hey? I mean, I, I'd be, that sounds good, actually, as <laughs> I'm saying, right? Yeah, it's not bad. But that's a circumstance. It's being relaxed. It's okay. But the peace that God is offering us, the peace that we find in the person of Jesus, has something eternal about it. Because the thing about that kind of peace, the peace of the beach and the sunset and the drink and the thing, is, you know, everybody always experiences a little bit of anxiety when they go on holiday because they know it's ending. You know, and know I've got to go back and this is coming over and oh my gosh, and people start, you know, the last two or three days of people, you know, they're like, oh, we've got to, and that's why people start taking 5,000 photos and maybe you know, I can look back at these photos and this will help. Because it, it, it's, it's, I want something that's going to last. I want something that addresses this inner turmoil that actually gives me a peace. And we find that even in the midst of our struggle and our difficulties in our day-to-day -day life in, through prayer, in our contact with the person of Jesus. So going back to the gospel scene, we see that Jesus himself is peace as he stands before the apostles resurrected. And then after he says to them, peace be with you, Jesus ever the, the teacher says, peace be with you. And then he shows them his hands and his side. He wishes them peace and then shows them how that peace came about through the sacrifice of the cross. And he shows them that so that they might learn and so that you and I might learn the paradox. And a paradox is something that seems to be a contradiction, but it's actually not. It just takes us to a higher truth. 
And Jesus shows the paradox of the cross, that it's only by embracing the cross that I have peace. It's only in those moments when I say yes to what God is asking of me, even when it hurts, even when I don't feel like it, even when it's uncomfortable, that by doing that in that and on the other side of that, I experience peace. What's paradoxical about that is our, our kind of normal tendency is that we want to seek peace by avoiding things that are unpleasant, I find difficult, things that I'm afraid of, things that I find hard. Normally the kinds of things that help us grow. And we want to not lose our peace by avoiding that. But as Jesus tells us, unless you take up your cross each day and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot receive my peace because my peace is the fruit of these wounds. And in a similar way, it has to be the same in your life and in mine. We're not going to have wounds in our hands. We're not going to suffer that kind of physical pain. But we will suffer the slings and arrows of day-to-day -day life, the tiredness, the boredom, the tedium, all those sorts of things. But if we try to do that out of love for God, out of service for others, the best that we can, Gaudium cum pace, as St. Josemaria would say, joy and peace follows upon that. And then Jesus says, he repeats his peace, he shows them the wounds in his hands, and then he repeats it to them again. When they're excited, they're rejoicing. He says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. The peace that Jesus gives us sends us on a mission. It's not just so that we go and sit in our rooms and, oh, I'm at peace and just so chilled out and how wonderful I am and God loves me and I always reconcile. We receive that peace so as to bring it to others. It's very, very important to see that we are given the peace of Christ not to just be in some sort of nirvana by ourselves, but it sends us, it commits us to be concerned about others and that we try to reconcile them to God. So in sincerity, ask yourself now in your prayer, and I ask myself as well, when I think about my friendships, when I think about the people that I meet, the people that God puts in my path, am I bringing to them the peace that Jesus comes to bring? And what would that mean? Like, how would I do that? How would I bring them the peace of Jesus? And in particular circumstances, that has to be fleshed out, of course. But the simple answer, how do I bring them the peace of God, the peace of Christ? By reconciling them to God. Having them be forgiven of their sins. That's not me being judgmental of them. It's having them freely want to seek out that forgiveness in the sacrament of confession. To have a more assiduous relationship with him in a life of prayer. To learn how to relate to him in the Eucharist. How to read the gospel. The more that we grow closer to Christ, who is our peace, the more 
we, are, we can receive it. And therefore, we are fulfilling that mission. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And someone who very much understood that mission and who experienced it is St. Paul. St. Paul. And there was one community of first Christians that in all of the letters that St. Paul wrote, you kind of get the impression, you can read Romans, Galatians, Colossians, you know, but you kind of get the impression that in the Philippians, Paul had his favorites. He really, I don't know, it's just my you read the letter of the Philippians, and he's not angry at any moment. He's not kind of, you know, you know, kind of laying into them at any point. He really opens his heart. And towards the end of it, and I think it's very helpful for us to hear as well, just, just listen to what St. Paul says to the first Christians, but listen to it with the belief that this is the kind of life that Jesus wants for you, the kind of life that he wants for us. And we're just hearing it through St. Paul. It says, So then, my brothers and dear friends, do not give way, but remain faithful in the Lord. I miss you very much, dear friends. You are my joy and my crown. I want you to be happy, always happy in the Lord. I repeat, what I want is your happiness. Let your tolerance be evident to everyone, for the Lord is very near. There is no need to worry, but if there is anything you need, pray for it, asking God for it with prayer and thanksgiving. And that peace of God, which is so much greater than we can understand, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Just ponder this. A peace so much greater than we can understand. To hear those words, to hear that that's what God wants for us, should fill us with desire. A longing for that peace. A longing and a desire that's so strong that I'm, I'm willing to seek it above all other things. I want that peace. I don't want just distraction. I don't want to just kind of, you know, more or less have certain comforts that allow life to just not hurt that much. I want that peace so much greater than we can understand. Then St. Paul continues, Finally, brothers, fill your minds with everything that is true, everything that is noble, everything that is good and pure, and everything that we love and honor, and everything that can be thought virtuous or worthy of praise. Keep doing all the things that you learned from me and have been taught by me and have heard or seen that I do. Then the God of peace will be with you. We end our prayer turning to that God of peace so that he be with us, but that he be with us so that we can face the cross joyfully, confident that it is a source of peace, so that we can see our friendships, our families, all of our circumstances at, at school or in, in the situations of our work is opportunities of spreading that peace, whether it's just through our cheerfulness, whether it's just through our efforts to show that we're not better than anyone else, but we are at least trying with a sincere heart to grow, we spread that peace. And we ask our mother Mary, who is the queen of peace. And Mary is the queen of peace for many reasons, but part of it is because she knew how to say yes to God in a complete way. 
And saying that wholehearted yes is very, very essential to having that peace. The more I say yes to him without conditions, without nuances, without you know, terms and conditions or anything like that, I receive that peace and Mary can accompany us and encourage us in doing it. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.